0: Welcome to another episode of Sales is Not a Dirty Word. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. As always, I'm your show host, Alicia Barr, your revolutionary sales coach and creator of this inspiring podcast. You can check me out at aliciabarr.com. Our podcast is all about live sales coaching sessions with people like you and impactful sales conversations to find out everyone's mistakes to the top so we can avoid them. Make sure you're on our distribution list to never miss out. In this episode, we're going to talk about selling more with authentic persuasion, which is the subject of our guest's new book and podcast, Jason Cutter. He helps you go from hello to close. Welcome to the big show. Sales is not a dirty word.
1: Thanks for that intro, Alicia. I'm super excited. Uh, I know we're gonna have a a fun sales nerd conversation and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm
0: so stoked. Um, There are very few people that have this approach in sales that I have come across. So I was so excited uh, to find you. And how did you get into this um, line of selling? Were you always selling with authentic persuasion or did you try some other things and figure this one out?
1: Well, I, I'm not even going to make a joke about it. I think most, uh, I went the path of most people that end up in sales where it wasn't a lifelong plan. I wasn't, you know, pretending to sell stuff as a kid to my friends and selling my toys <laughs> and it, 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 it was some. It was definitely not for me. Um, you know, part of the punchline is that I was a shy, awkward, only child, late bloomer, uh, to two analytical parents, one of which was a banker.
0: Proves my point. I always say the introverts are better at sales.
1: I I think so. And that's part of where, you know, why I wrote this book and the people that really resonates with, and, and, you know, that we can coach people like you and I, um, is the ones who, once you unlock that stuff that's in there, it's amazing and powerful because it's what the consumers want more of and what they want instead of the other option. And so for me, I did not wanna go in sales. I didn't wanna deal with people. Uh, I grew up in an anti-sales household. My mom hated salespeople and was always worried about them um, such that I went to school and got my bachelor's degree in marine biology. I tagged sharks for years and I didn't get my first sales job till I was 27. And like everyone else, I didn't get a moment of sales training. I had no idea what I was doing. And it was literally self taught for the next X number of years.
0: Classic. So did like your manager, or anybody try to give you some guidance?
1: No. And, and I might've blocked it out or it might've been so easy. I don't remember. I mean, my, I started it, I was 27 first sales job. Uh, 2002 mortgage business, at the time, housing boom, you just show up. Literally the joke was you show up and and sometimes answer your phone and you'll make six figures. It was just that easy. Um, And so it didn't actually take any selling. So that was the problem is it didn't require any selling. Now I screwed up a lot of stuff. The first six months I lost so much money because I still did it wrong, even though there was nothing that it required, I still did it wrong. But literally my first day on the job was the boss saying, hey, I sent out 10,000 postcards last week when the phone rings, fill out this lead sheet, put them on hold, and then come get me and I'll do the rest. And then I sat across from him in in meetings and I tried to take notes and figured out what he did. That was the extent of my sales training.
0: Well, that's good. I honestly, so the way that I learned how to sell was just working with other people. So I think that's the best way to learn rather than any kind of theory or book. So I, I would do a lot of two-legged calls when I worked for, or four-legged, sorry, four-legged calls when I worked for corporate because um, I was the digital specialist and I'd go with like the main account rep. It was um, advertising, um, they, newspaper advertising. So they would be talking to them about print and I'd be talking to them about digital. And so it was really great training to watch all the different ways that people handle conversation. And it sounds like that's what you got.
1: Yeah. And I love it. I mean, I'm very observational problem solver, dissect things. I think in a different life, I could have been a detective or forensic uh, type of person. Just I see everything. I hear everything. I pick up on the details. The challenge is most people don't learn that way. I mean, I would spend time where I would go to other offices, even as a leader, and I would sit in a cube and just take notes from listening to you know five yeah. different conversations around me and pick up what people said that sounded good, that worked, that fit with what I liked, that didn't sound shady. Um, but the challenge is most salespeople don't work that way. Most people who fall into sales aren't sure they want to take it that serious and they're kind of pretending and playing at sales and that's where they struggle.
0: Yeah, and that is so spot on. Um, I think that's a fantastic way to learn, uh, especially the part where you said like what felt good to me. So like what I, you know, always say is that it's not a one size fits all. You are individual. You have a different personality and you have a different product and audience than somebody who's, you know, Grant Cardone was a car salesman. So very different approach for, um, car dealerships. And honestly, that one's tired for customers too, but it's a whole nother conversation. Um, But yeah, I'm always like, don't feel bad if that works for that person. and doesn't work for you. It doesn't mean anything. It's just you need to be aware so you don't do it. And then you use the stuff that does feel good.
1: And that's what I realized years ago and what I've trained people on. And then part of the book, right. Selling with authentic persuasion is that piece, which is what's authentic for you. Like what works for you. And it's not the Jason cutter sales system, right? A lot of people come to me or they, they want to get the book and it's like, okay, you know, what's the closing techniques? How do I ask for the the sale? How do I do this? Give me all the, the lines I should use. It's like, No, it's really about you figuring out for yourself, but here's the framework, Um, because everyone's different, right? Like you might take this one thing from Gary Vee, this one thing from Grant Cardone, this one thing from here, and you end up with this Frankenstein sales, like kind of thing in your own head that works for you. And that's where I see people who are like, okay, I'm gonna be the John Maxwell salesperson. It's like, okay, that works if you're exactly like that sales model, but it may or may not be like 100% true for you. And so, you know, where are you bringing yourself in versus where are you trying to copy what you think works?
0: Yeah, I am just, i so like, it's so refreshing to hear you say that because that is totally what I'm about. Um, it, it's about a Frankenstein method. And all of a sudden <laughs> you have this custom fit, like tailored strategy for you. And how empowering is that for someone to know that this is exactly what fits them? that's
1: confidence. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people I work with, they're like, okay, tell me what I should say here. It's like, well, it depends. Tell me like, what about you and how do you operate? And then what's the conversation, right? It's not like, okay, here's the one way to ask for a sale every single time. Here's the one way to handle every objection every single time in this one way. It's like, here's a framework, but you know, you got to be you at at some point.
0: Yeah, um, I, I sometimes compare it to like, there, there's just so many ways to say the exact same thing. So like some people would say it really formally. Some people would say it really casually. Some people wouldn't use big words. Some people, and I kind of recommend, you know, sales at a fourth grade level, like the vocabulary should not be, unless you're in some kind of, you know, talking to CEO, even for CEOs, unless they're really familiar with your industry, like, yeah. For layman's terms, all the way. Um, but yeah, I, sometimes I'll throw out different ways they could say it and then like, we can kind of go evolve from there. But totally. Um, how did you, so how many people have you helped figure out their authentic persuasion method?
1: oh i i don't have i don't have a clear number on that because i've been doing this even before it was something official that I labeled um, i've been doing this <clears throat> for years, and as you know, from being sales and sales leadership, unfortunately, it usually involves a lot of people coming and going uh, depending if they have the ability so it's it's probably a thousand plus um, over the years that i've dealt with you know call centers, various offices, various countries, clients. Um, you know, turnover is an unfortunate part where people shouldn't ever have been in sales. Some of it, like they started off so rough and no leadership, and then it's hard for them to turn and pivot if they don't want it. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been a lot of people, a lot of conversations.
0: That's very impactful. must be very rewarding. Um, I think that the hardest thing for me, when I see people struggling with sales is like the struggle of it, like that they have this lack of confidence and the self doubt. And I just want to tell them like, you've got it. You just got to stop trying basically to do something different from what is natural to you.
1: And and that's the biggest thing. I think the challenge is, is that most people fall into a sales role, uh, lack of training, lack of management, lack of coaching and real leadership on like how to be successful. Um, And they're coming in it with two images. One is the image of what it takes to be successful in sales and what a salesperson should be. Charismatic, storyteller, over the top, center of attention, smooth talker. And that's what they think it takes to be successful in sales. And then they're also coming with all of their baggage in life, which we all have. Some more than others, but coming with baggage as a customer of bad experiences they had, buying from someone who manipulated them, it went bad. They felt regret afterwards and they vowed never to do that to somebody. So they're really torn by this. I don't want to be that person. And I think that's the way you have to do it to be successful. And so the struggle is, I don't know any other way, but I don't want to be that person.
0: Yeah. They're like warring the two parts of themselves. So bad. Yeah, I noticed people are like, oh my God, I feel so bad selling. Like I'm this gross salesperson, I'm taking somebody's money. Like it's this thing that they're um, struggling with of Mm -hmm. feeling like a a bad person because they're selling something. And you're right that it's because they've they've probably had an experience with somebody like that.
1: Yep, had an experience, watched a movie, watched Boiler Room, watched Wolf of Wall Street, uh, you know, heard from family members. Uh, whether you've bought from a used car salesman or not, which is not a fair thing because there's a lot of good people out there who are selling used cars. So that's not (laughs) fair anymore. Um, But even just that term for people who are in their twenties, who have never bought a used car from somebody have that's been handed down from generation to generation. And so nobody wants to be that, I'll say that guy, right? Like nobody wants to be that person.
0: Right. So they think they have to like go so far in the other direction. Like, like they're some kind of good person because they're terrible at sales.
1: Well, and that's where the order taker side comes in. Right. And so that's why I started using that label, not to like put somebody down or put them in, you know, this negative framework, but that's the other extreme. They end up as an order taker, being nice, coming from empathy. feeling like because they care about you so much, they're not going to push you. They're just going to give you the information, read from the brochure, build lots of rapport. Hopefully you like them. And if you want to buy, you'll let them know. Otherwise they'll sit back and wait and hope.
0: Man, that is so true. So a lot of people feel uncomfortable kind of, you know, challenging the decisions that somebody is making because they think it's bad, but you can challenge somebody's decisions with their best interests in mind, if you see them making a genuine mistake that they're going to regret because somebody else was really slick at sales,
1: basically. Yep. And and really what you do is, is what I think we both help people do, is realize if you're a sales professional and that's the way you wanna go with your career and that's your goal, it's a radical shift from manipulating on one end Order taking on another, and sales then becomes something not that you're doing to somebody, it's something you're doing for and with somebody. In the same way that another profession, let's say like the medical profession, doctors aren't either manipulating someone to get surgery or hoping somebody gets surgery, they diagnose, they prescribe, and then they assume. And they know they they're they took an oath. Their duty and responsibility is to make somebody well. They're not gonna say, hey, your arm is broken. Here's my card. You know, I'll send you an email next week. I'll follow up with you if this is something you want to get taken care of. You know, just just let me know. And, you know, if there's anything else I like can answer, I'll send you more information. None of that BS, right? Like that's not what doctors do. They say your arm is broken, we're gonna fix it. You have any questions? Hold on. This is gonna hurt. You'll get better. I promise. Hold on, right? That's what yeah. they do. And when you sell that way, it's amazing because now it's not about me. It's about you. I want the best for you. And you can really persuade slash push somebody out of their comfort zone to make a decision from a different intention and a different place that feels totally different for them and you and get amazing results.
0: Yeah. I always say, as long as you're coming from a genuinely helpful place, nobody's going to be mad. Nope, offended.
1: especially when they call you on it, right? They're gonna call you, oh, you're just doing this because you're gonna get a commission. No, there's 8 billion people on the planet. You don't buy, I don't care. I will hang up and find somebody else. I'm pushing you because I wanna help you because you need help and you have your goals, right? Like, yes, I'm gonna make a commission, but that's, I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of fish in the sea, right?
0: Yeah, it's more like, you said you wanted this, right? I'm trying to help you get there. Yeah. Um, so you touched on something that is such a problem, where people have this feeling that they need to be liked in order to sell. Yep, and that's not true.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think there's a balance. So I think it a depends on what you're selling, what your sales style is, how authentic it is for you, and how. And this is what I've realized recently, even this week, is the like spectrum. Let's call it right. I'm just making this up right now. Is I think it really depends how much pain the other person is in and how awesome and amazing your offer is, Mm -hmm. is going to dictate how much they have to like you. So my new friend, Bob Berg says, you know, for people to buy from you, they got to know, like, and trust you. Right. And I got into a discussion yesterday with someone who said they don't need to like you. And the thing is, if we look at the doctor example, again, there's doctors who you don't like. They have a terrible bedside manner. You, it literally feels like they don't care about you. I've seen it in action. And you know that they're the world's best heart surgeon and you tolerate the fact that they're kind of an ass and that you don't like them, but you know they're the best. You have a huge problem, they have the solution, you tolerate it. If you're selling something that's not at that end of this spectrum of solving someone's huge problem, then they're gonna need to like you. Otherwise, they're not gonna get on board.
0: Unless it's amazing. You can't be a dick, you're right. Um, Unless you have some type of clout or authority or status or something. Um, That's what it takes. Yeah, but you don't, I think people put too much focus on being liked. Like you just need to be like a nice person. You don't need to have this insane rapport with them every time you talk to them for 10 times before they move forward with a sale, like that's not necessary. And they're kind of laughing at you a little if you're doing that, honestly, like this person's just trying to be really nice to me. And eventually I'll feel so guilty, I'll buy something. Like, and, not-
1: that, and that is the hope strategy of the order taker right? Like literally I have a chapter in the book about that, about building rapport. And it's mostly focused on building rapport. Like when it goes wrong, like when they do it, when you, when somebody does it incorrectly and what happens is you build too much rapport. The, the worst case scenario is you end up in the friend zone. Now I like you so much. I don't really trust you. Right. That's why, you know, if I have a best friend who comes to me and says, Hey, I just started doing financial planning. Do you want to invest with me? It's like, no, I know you too well. Like I've, I definitely don't want to work with you. Um, And so you've gotta be careful. Uh, A lot of people, I agree, they get into the friend zone. They rely on the rapport is gonna carry through somebody. Like you said, feel guilty.
0: Yeah, they just eventually feel so guilty. Like I talk to them so much and they're so nice that I should buy something from them, which is not Mm -hmm. a great sales strategy for success because I mean, unless you just have a killer delivery on the back end, but you'd really wanna lead with how great the delivery was rather than y'all's friendship. If that was the case. And I mean, my clients have often become my friends, but you should be like expert authority guide first, friend second. Like I'm going to have to tell you if what you're saying doesn't make sense and not feel bad about you not liking me because I'm letting you know because it's in your best interest because you don't know this information and I'm sharing it with you kind of thing.
1: Yep, I completely agree. I mean, a lot of people see rapport as the step. There's two steps for them in their sales process is rapport and reading the brochure. Those are the two parts of the process. Uh, And then they're hoping, right? And then, (laughs) right, I mean, that's what it, it feels like. It's like, I could get that information on the internet. Like, I don't need you to tell me what your thing does. Like everyone has within their reach 24 hours a day, even while sleeping, all the world's knowledge. Right? I don't need you to tell me it. I needed you to tell me how it's going to help me, how it solves my problem. I don't need to know about it.
0: Yeah. Right. Customize to me. Yeah. Correct. So how do you help people go from order taker to quota maker?
1: Uh, you know, one of the, the key is first, do they want to, right? So part of it is that self-awareness, which is why the authenticity piece is first, right? It's not the persuade authentic method. It's, you know, authenticity first, which is, do you want to do this? Is it the right fit? What are your strengths? What do you, what do you bring to the table? Going back to that whole introverts are very powerful at sales kind of mode. Um, do you want to do it right? Because there's times where it's a square peg in a round hole and it's just terrible. Right? I've had so many people where even on day one, they sit down, they're going through training in sales. We both look at each other and go, you need to be in customer service <laughs> or, or marketing or somewhere else on the planet, but right here in sales. And it's because they thought maybe that would be a good fit. And it's not, and there's nothing wrong with that. Life is about figuring out what you don't want to do and what you're not good at as much as it is what you are good at. Um, And so, you know, that's part of it is that self-awareness. Do you want to do it? And then why do you want to do it? What would you put on your vision board? Um, What are you bringing to the table? And then understanding that whole piece about the being a professional and your duty and responsibility and what it means that if you have a client or prospective client who has problem X and you have solution X and they don't buy from you, you failed them totally different mindset, right? Going back to that duty and responsibility. If they don't buy from you, you failed them, you let them down as another human, and you didn't live up to your professional responsibility and making that shift. And then everything else is process.
0: Hmm. Okay. Is it hard? Do you find it's hard for people to make that man- mindset shift?
1: Not, not once we work on it. There's a lot of people I meet where they're just like, yeah, same thing like you said, I'm afraid, I just wanna do rapport, I just wanna give the demo, hopefully they like me. And then once we work through that and, and really correlate it with other professions and, and really break down what it is they sell, what the value is that they're selling to the other person, how does it change their life? They could be the marketing manager at a company and you're selling them some SaaS platform, right? But how does it impact them? what will happen to them worst case scenario if they don't buy from you and then come from that place. And most people I work with make that shift at that point fairly easily, you mm. know, um, where they just look at it different and go, okay, now I get it. I I'm helping them. I'm not hand out trying to, you know, convince them.
0: I really like that as an exercise, like think of your prospect in the worst case scenario and write down all the bad things that can happen to them. 100%. If they don't move forward
1: with you. Yeah. For, for me, it was really easy because um, my first uh, sales job was in the mortgage business, helping people get into the largest debt of their life. It was easy, but I didn't find it fulfilling. It didn't, it, it, I literally did it for a couple of years and left when the market was still really hot. Cause it was boring. Wow. to me. And I just, I, I, I didn't, I didn't care. Like I didn't care about helping people get into debt. I wanted to help people get out of debt more. Um, yeah. and, and so I uh, actually switched to helping people who are in foreclosure avoid losing their homes to foreclosure. And then like, that's where I really started looking at it. it's like, if this person doesn't do this, the sheriff is coming at 10 AM on Friday and kicking them out of their house. And they're potentially homeless, like under a bridge, divorced, life's ruined. Like, If I'm not successful, that's what's going to happen. And every time I've ever sold anything, I extrapolate that out all the way, right? A marketing manager, they don't buy my software. Then what happens next? They don't make their KPIs. They get fired. They, you know, can't pay their rent or mortgage. They end up homeless, under a bridge, alone. Like it always ends up in that mode in my brain. And It's like, I can't, I can't let that happen to them. I'm not going to do it.
0: I think that's a very power, That's a very powerful exercise for somebody to do um, because I find that sometimes like one of the most common mistakes I see is that people over-empathize and they, there's that saying like say, either you, you or your prospect are buying something, like you're buying the right. prospect's excuses. So it's like yeah. empathy in the wrong direction where they're just like, well, I don't know. I'm just scared. A lot of times it's like people are just sca- scared, like they everyone's don't- scared. Yeah. Of, of anything <laughs> new. And, um, and then the, the seller's like, well, I kind of understand just being scared of something new. So I don't want to push them. And it's like, not the, the, empathy isn't in the right direction.
1: Basically. Yeah. And, and, and that touches on very subtly, but it's so powerful. Uh, one of the biggest problems I see with people who are struggling in sales and one of the things they can make a shift and either it'll work or it won't which is a lot of salespeople going back to what i said earlier follow the golden rule when they're selling so they nobody wants to feel like a hypocrite and they don't like making somebody do something that they wouldn't do themselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: in your example there it's like oh, i don't know if i want to do this and i don't like change the seller in that situation your scenario is like you're right I also don't like change. Whether they say that or they just think it, then they empathize and they go, I also don't like change. So I agree. And please I'll send you more information because I would want more information and I want to do my research. So I totally get it. I'll send you that. You let me know when you're ready, take all the time you need. Exactly. that person then puts their head back in the sand you never hear from them again because they're scared um and so a lot of salespeople do that i do exercises all the whole time with salespeople to uncover what their objections are because there's sometimes salespeople are like i would never buy without researching and then magically every single one of their prospects also needs to research yeah. it's just subconscious
0: man that's a really good exercise also what are your objections to the project i'm gonna do that with my sales team
1: and, and you know what, you know what, here's even more fun. I'll give you the pro tip. I'll just like give you all my secrets. Um, I don't even ask, I mean, I do ask them, there's an exercise. I won't tell you this one. Cause this is my secret, but, um, usually what happens is I don't even need to do that. Um, if it's like experienced people who are on the floor, what I'll do is all I do is look through their notes. If they're using a CRM and all their notes are in the system, or I ask them, you know, send me like the last 15 like the notes on the last 15 calls you had, I can see their problems written in the notes. Needed more information, needed more information, didn't wanna pay a fee, didn't wanna sign a contract, doesn't do 12 month contracts. Hey, Bob, let me ask you, what do you feel about contracts? I would never sign a contract. Okay, there we go. Of course, none of your people will either, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's a fantastic point. There are all these inherent uh, mindsets that people are selling from and you can be subconsciously moving them towards something. And that's why most people need to sell something that they believe in. Like, I think it's kind of funny how many people say, well, I, if I have to sell something, it's gotta be something that I feel like is actually benefiting someone. And I'm like, I think that they think that they're unique, but I feel like that's actually more common than unique. The, the unique is the person who's like, I do not care about this person at all, and I will sell them total trash. Um, have you ever come across those people that are like-
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and again, that goes, that goes back to this fundamental thing where people see what they think a salesperson is, right? And again, Using the used cars thing, which again, I'll give the caveat. It's not fair to yeah. used car pe- salespeople in general, but they think like they're just selling junk and trying to get rid of it and make a ton of money and rip somebody off. And so most people go into sales thinking, okay, to be in sales and be successful, you don't care what you're selling. You don't care what it does to the other person. Your job is just to move deals, right? And so then this is thing like, oh, I could just never do that. I'd have to actually care about it. It's like, no, no, no. That's what you're supposed to do, right? You're That's supposed normal. to care. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's and that's what the customers want. Nobody actually wants to buy from that person who doesn't care. They do it sometimes, but they don't like it.
0: Yeah, usually the, the prospect can feel if you actually care. And yeah. like, that's kind of how I stumbled into being good at sales is I just actually cared. Yeah. So I, I really wanted them to be um, happy and successful. My first job was selling online advertising. So I would like come up with strategies with them and like get really excited about them. Excitement and passion for it also sells. So it was just sort of natural because I think that although most people want to sell something they believe in, I have found that not every salesperson t- makes that extra effort to like really care. I think some people become a little desensitized. Like I've just done this so many times. I, I can't, like, I feel good about selling it, but I don't, I'm not going to like follow up and make sure that things, you know, really went well kind of thing.
1: hundred percent. That happens so much with anybody who's been in that sales role. And I don't even know how long it takes. Everyone's different, but for any length of time, they totally get desensitized, especially if you're selling something where like it's a hardship type thing. So again, I've helped people who have been in debt and, and financial stuff, it's like, I've seen salespeople, they hear the stories enough and they just don't care. The empathy is gone. They don't even ask questions anymore. This is common with a lot of salespeople is because they know it all and they've seen it all and they've understood it all. They no longer ask any questions because they just don't care. I don't care why you think you need my marketing software. I get it. I already know why I'm smarter than you. Let me tell you how it works. And here's why you need it. Um, And parts of those process just completely disappear because they, like you said, become desensitized to it or they think they're a pro, air quotes.
0: So how do you get them to live back in the world where they care?
1: Uh, that's a tough one because I, I think that might be a chicken and the egg situation. They, they have to go back to caring and they have to go back. Really what it is is realizing that early success in sales was probably because they cared a lot. They didn't know what they were doing. They assumed nothing and they asked lots of questions which then yeah. leads to the prospect doing a lot of talking, which then leads to them feeling like you care. And then it makes it easier to sell and you uncover lots of good stuff. Professional salespeople don't do any of that. And so the key is like, do you still care? Do you wanna be successful? If you wanna be successful? Go back, wh- back to what worked, follow this process and go back to doing it for why you wanted to do it and the value it has. And what I found, again, not everyone is gonna make it, is that some people, make that shift back. Some people don't, and it's just a matter of time before they're done. Before they're not
0: in sales anymore.
1: Not in that job, no.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of times I've worked with sales teams and been like, look, I know that this conversation is repetitive to you, but picture yeah. for a minute that this person hasn't talked to everybody about this. This person hasn't heard this from everyone that they talk to. This is their little world, and it's very important to them. And they think that they're sharing information that's important. So like when you don't, like imagine that you're in that position and then the other person just doesn't care what you're saying, you wouldn't wanna buy from them.
1: Well, and it's funny as you're talking, the thing that just instantly popped into my head for the first time is pretty much everyone can relate to going to a theme park, especially like Disneyland. So I live in California. I remember going to Disneyland twice, once when I was six, once when I was 16, and then many times as an adult, but most people plan their lives and their vacation around going to a place like Disneyland. And if you think about it, like I've been to Disneyland where there's been 80,000 people in one day at Disneyland. And so to Disneyland, I'm not special, right? To that person who's running the ride for the thousandth time that day, I'm not special if they act like that, I can feel it and it sucks. And it's like, I don't feel special. The ones that do it really well, it's like magical every time. And they want you to have that magical experience no matter how many times they've said the same thing. And that's when it's great. And salespeople have to do that. Like you have to yeah. either do it because you want to and you, you know it's magical for the other person in the conversation. Yeah. And if you can't do that, again, I think your time is limited.
0: Yeah, it's true. And sometimes I I give them like, the pick something that you will find is interesting in the conversation. Like answers do vary, right? Get invested in this person, usually in the rapport part. Like I just talked to a guy who tracked down some uh, relative that was harassing um, someone and like he, you know, did all this detective work and like got them and stuff. And I was like, I mean, that's, interesting. Like people are interesting and ridiculous and um, different. And so if you can kind of like look at it like that, then it's not the repetitive conversation so much.
1: And, and really what that is at the heart of it is getting back to or finding or bringing back up to the surface, a level of curiosity that you may have had in the past and being interested and curious about other people, right? So using the Disneyland example, or maybe you wait tables, you know, if you've ever been to a restaurant and the server doesn't care versus the server who's super interested, hey, where are you from? Have you been here before? Like, They're just curious and excited. Um, if you can tap into that, then the rest of it just it falls into place.
0: And it's fun and it's natural. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're going to do the best at sales when you're enjoying yourself. When you're bored, like it's not going to go well at all.
1: No, not unless you, unless your job is at the DMV and the, you know, that's just, it's repetitive. And then the question is how long until you could be replaced by robots? If your job is actually that repetitive, at what point will automation just replace you?
0: I actually say that the DMV is one of the least
1: discriminatory places because they treat everyone
0: equally as poorly.
1: Yep. That's (laughs) fair. And, and what's interesting is I've had really bad experiences at the DMV with someone who just really is unhappy and I've actually called them out on it. And I've dealt with people who are really happy and like it and, and are there, they know they're there to help people. Amazing different experiences. I I've never had
0: that experience, but like, it doesn't matter if you're like a famous person, they're like, get out of my way. (laughs) Like, like, you're going to have to wait as long as everybody else take a number. Like they do not care. Um, which I mean, I'm glad that you've had good experiences at
1: the DMV. And, and that's the problem, right? Is they see thousands of people and it's just monotonous and it's just a grind and it's just repetitive. And, and to your point, that's what happens with some salespeople is they just get in that mode anyway. They don't realize it. They don't realize the, the wake of destruction behind them because people feel like they don't care. Um, but you never want to get into that category where literally your sales pitch or conversation feels like a visit to the DMV.
0: Well, and for both of you, for the prospect and for you, like that's a sad life, man.
1: Life is too short.
0: All right. Well, that's a good stopping point for us. And so we've reached the end of yet another episode of Sales is Not a Dirty Word. This was the podcast about how to sell more with authentic persuasion. And we've been talking with Jason Cutter, the uh, founder of How to Go from Hello to Close. So thanks again, To Jason for making an appearance as our guest today.
1: Thanks for having me, Alicia. This was super fun, as expected.
0: Definitely. I'm so, I I almost want to do another one, like a part two. Um, So, all right, Jason, can you tell everyone how they can find out more about you and work with you?
1: Uh, easiest place, go to jasoncutter.com. That's a hub for everything I have going on. They can find uh, how to buy the book through there, book a time to talk to me, my consulting website. Even you could go directly to LinkedIn, or you can go to that site and find my LinkedIn, my YouTube, everything on there.
0: Wonderful. So, finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. This has been the Sales is Not a Dirty Word podcast. We show you how to put the humanity in your sales and make a killing doing it.